You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everyone. New Tennis.com podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan here today with Richard Pagliaro, Steve Tegner, um, meeting together to talk about Roger Federer. This is an all-Roger hour, uh, 20 minutes probably, really, but it, it is going to be all Federer after the past couple of weeks and Wimbledon, of course, where he his you know his long Grand Slam quarterfinal streak came to an end. Steve, when you and I were there, I think we were we were banding around the possibility that maybe Roger would play Newport or something because he needed some matches. And and to me, that was probably the only reason we'd be talking about Federer at this stage of the game. This is a month where he never plays at all, and and clearly that's not the case. Um, he plays two matches in small clay court events, loses to Del Bonus in the semis of Hamburg. Daniel Brands is opening match in Stad in Switzerland, and this was after he lost in the second round of Stokowski, um at Wimbledon. So before I get into some of my thoughts about that, you know, maybe, Rich, I'll start with you. You know, what do you kind of make of this new, this really this new pattern, and I think very unexpected to me personally? It's, it's a little difficult to make a Full assessment because you just don't know the back, how bad it is. They're using the term spasms. If it's spasms, I don't think it's, you know, like career-threatening or anything like that. I mean, the guy won six titles last year, including Wimbledon. I wouldn't write him off. If it's spasms, if it's something worse, more severe, you know, then I I think he's got problems. At the very least, the fragility post-30, you know, like you said, losing to three guys in a row outside the top 50 – you know, it it shows maybe not the decline has started, but it's approaching. Yeah, and we were we were just talking about that before we hit record here. Is that really Federer's only injury we've seen pretty much throughout his entire career is a back. It's kind of made sporadic uh, appearances. It was, I think, believe the cause of his only match he had to withdraw from ever. I think it was against Blake in an indoor event late in the year in Paris, I believe, in Europe. And um, but but you know. Of course, back is a pretty bad problem to have in tennis, especially the serve. It goes to everything. But, you know, that I think is is certainly one concern about that. There's the racket experiment he's doing, too. We'll get into that. But I think, you know, to me, regardless of all that, these losses are just still, even with that in mind, just so surprising to me because, you know, in spite of all of Federer's, you know, maybe you want to call them relative troubles at the slams, getting past, you know, his contemporaries lately, he's kind of fallen behind the pace set by Djokovic, even Murray recently. You know, he was real. He was rarely falling to the, you know, to the minnows of the tour, and and these three losses are a complete uh, divergence from that. So maybe some of your thoughts, Steve, on on what this all means to you. Yeah, I think if you just see those headlines that. You know, Federer loses to Stokowski, ranked 116. He loses Del Bonis, ranked at the time outside of the top 100. Loses to Brands, who's also doesn't have a great ranking. Those guys are all better than their ranking, but it's still it's still something new for Federer. And also for him, as you said, the the back may be temporary, but that's something that um that he's also hadn't hasn't had trouble with in the past is injuries. If that, you know, if you look at those two things, if he starts to lose more matches that he doesn't think he should lose and nobody thinks he should lose, and if his body starts to give him more trouble, um, then then it's going to be a new, you know, it's sort of a, you have to relook at, 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 at his longevity and, and how he's going to approach the game because those are, those are two things he hasn't really experienced before. 
what about the racket in all this? Not he goes he goes from 90 square inches to 98. Uh, both of you two are players. You know you, you, you've experimented with plenty of rackets. Richard, you're doing gear, of course, for us too. So both of you know kind of what what comes with that change. And for someone who who held steadfast to his um, 90 to 90 square inch head, which pretty much no other players are using at this point for so long, it, it I think it's even more jarring of a change for Federer. And um, you know, so maybe some of your thoughts on where on, on this whole experiment he's undertaking, which we still don't know, according to him, if it's going to continue. Um, I feel like it would be kind of rash to to do it for just a couple clay tournaments. So I I think we will see that come over, you know, to the U.S. in some form. But you know, maybe thoughts on Rich on you and this whole racket. I think change. it's a smart move. I mean, I was on a conference call with Sampras and McEnroe before Wimbledon, and Sampras reiterated what he said for years. Like the biggest mistake he feels he made was so married to that pro staff his whole career that in retrospect he's like, I should have I should have went to a bigger head. I should have tried different strings. Why not? You know, and you saw Agassi late in his career when he went to Luxalon strings after years of gut saying, you know, this is going to add two years to my career. The, the technology's out there. I think he was a little bit obstinate, stubborn not to to try it earlier. There's going to be, you know, with any player of any level, there's an adjustment period. But I think especially off the backhand, off that high ball on the backhand where you know, he'll shank some. He, I think just that extra face space on the racket, that's got to help him. He's a precision player, but, you know, you see him miss hit even with the 90-inch. To mm-hmm. me, the whole thing is the forehand is not what it was, and that's where really he's got to get that back, you know. And I also think just get maybe a little – generate a little more power, a few more free points on serve. You know, when he serves well, everything else seems to flow, and it he just it hasn't been there for him this year. Yeah, and, and we've seen some of that already in these matches we've discussed. You know, um, I think some of the shots you saw from Federer, you, you could certainly chalk up to that to that racket change there. I don't certainly I don't think all of them, but uh, um, it's 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 definitely a, a process, and it's still going on. And I think presuming Federer plays Montreal, that's what we're going to get into in just a minute. You know, I would expect to see what that can do on a hardcore and that's where I think the serve especially would do uh, you know do a lot better for him there um, you know going into August we're going to be in August tomorrow we have Montreal Cincinnati in the US Open and Federer like I said he hasn't fully committed to Montreal yet um, if he does and everybody else plays he'll be seated fifth in Canada that's certainly a departure from you know the past almost decade for Federer in Cincinnati, he'll have a thousand points to defend. There, this is a lot going on for Federer. That's sort of uh, perhaps dangerous territory for him if you want to think of him as strict rankings and and seating and, and just competitive perspective, where he's going to be potentially be facing guys earlier on in the quarterfinals that he would never normally face until the final. Um, so, you know, the question I have about this summer is really what constitutes success in your guys' mind for Federer at these events? Is he still of that? title or bust mentality that we've always had and for very good reason for him. I guess you could probably say if he made the semis of the U.S. Open, it would stop some of the decline talk. Um, it depends on what happens there. But um, he needs to go, you know, he has such a high, so people have such high expectations for him that anything earlier, fourth round, third round, 
maybe even the quarters, people will st- still start, you know, the, the talk about his decline and his retirement will will continue. Um, as far as the racket goes, I think it's going to be a tough, it's, it's a big jump to make from 90 to 98. I think it's a good idea, and I'm glad he's trying it, and it shows that he, you know, he's he's not giving in to to getting older, but I think it will be tough, and I would, you know, not as not as easy as maybe maybe you might think to make a change at at this stage in his career. Um, as far as immediately though, I feel like he it will be hard for him to um, you know Djokovic and Nadal have definitely established themselves at the top, and now Murray's there. I think that's a big deal that there's another guy established ahead of Federer now that who wasn't there a year ago right and I and I think that's pretty much universally you know accepted at that point you know rich for you you know do you do you think Federer I mean if you think about it maybe as U.S. Open prospects I mean do you think he needs to establish to do well perhaps in one of these two Masters events to really set any high expectations for him in New York or is it a you know or is it a matter of where as we've seen sometimes before with Federer, and certainly the the obvious comparison is to Pete Sampras in, in 2002. Is you know no matter what happens with a flick of a switch, you know he could still just turn it on and you know be that slam winning player that we've kind of always seen. It's a really good question because you know with Sampras you're talking about one of the greatest servers ever. So when he turned it on on serve, he was in every match at the end. I think to me it's like. You want to see him healthy in Cincinnati, by Cincinnati. You want to see him in Cincinnati healthy. If if that's the case and he's healthy going into New York, then I think, uh, like Steve said, semifinals in New York would be successful. If he went out first week at the Open after second round at Wimbledon, I mean, that's a big blow. I don't care how many majors you want. You know, to, he's not accustomed to that. And also the other players are now seeing, you know, Delbona, seeing – Stakovsky, you know, seeing brands beat. I mean, that just makes you more of a target. And, you know, his recent comments last week, I I think he's right saying at this point in his career, the ranking doesn't really matter. On the other hand, you look at Serena the year she lost to Hennon in three major quarterfinals. The first thing she said in that press conference in New York was, I got to get my ranking up because I can't afford to be playing her quarterfinal, quarterfinal. And I think that it's a similar thing. The ranking isn't the end-all, be-all, but you've got, to, you've got to stay relevant in the top five, I think, so that you're not playing those guys earlier in Australia, earlier in tournaments, because that's a big, big thing for him now. Yeah, the 30. odds are just... Yeah, it's just, it's just too tough, you know. Yeah, and it's funny you say that. With that players see that they can, uh, you know, notice what Stakovsky, Del Bonus brands can do to Federer. We feel like we just had that conversation not really that long ago about you know players maybe in the top 15 in the world who were finally getting their first big wins over Federer after so many years of just being shut up by him, and now it's trickling down into that, you know, obviously a much lower rung of uh, of talent here. So it, it's. Um, you know, it, it adds up, I think, over time. And, and Del Bonus, like, I did that match. I mean, you could see halfway through the first set, Del Bonus, the light went off. Like, if I just hit my forehand to his backhand from now until the rest of the match, I can win this match. Like, there was no – it wasn't like he was over his head or – I mean, I know Federer was banged up with the back, but you could really see this guy – you know, I have a winning play against him. It's up to him to adjust to me. And that's a little bit of a psychological switch because in the past, you know, it was the other way around. 
Federer went 1-5 in tiebreakers against Stakowski and Delbonis. An interesting sort of thing to That's know. That's a real reverse because he was yeah. always the master of yeah. the tiebreaker, and he you know, he survived a, a lot of close matches just by winning tiebreakers. Right, yeah. And um, and you know the score of the other one, Brands, was 6-3, 6-4 there to him. So um, maybe a, l- a long-term perspective maybe on, on Roger from, you know, next year, years down the road. And and the question I'm going to put to you guys is, you know, has really the the idea of Roger really calling it a career, the end of his road, has that come into a clearer focus to you guys over the past few weeks? And to me, it actually has. I, you know, I, I certainly can't precisely say when that will arrive. I think it's, you know, it's impossible to determine that. But I think just the idea of, of him, you know, not necessarily accepting, but saying this might be the time at some point to do it if, you know, if this pattern continues to present itself here. I think, I also think his kids will have a play a big part in that. I think just really how overall his, his, the legacy he wants to leave as a player, I think it's very important to him. I think that perhaps emulates is another nod to Sampras again, a, a player who, who went out on top, obviously, after winning a slam and didn't play again. But it's really impossible for me to imagine Federer playing like Leighton Hewitt is right now, for example, who for the past three or four years has been a player well outside the top 50 uh, for the most part, battling, hanging around in almost any minor event you can think of. And, uh, and I just don't see Federer as ever accepting that or wanting to do that and you know that that's a you know I think that's just a measure of how how much we've been he and us have been putting him on that level for so many years though so I'll put that to you guys about really what what Roger's long-term future is to you maybe after what we've seen now as far as whether I could see him retiring and now you know I can picture it not yet um he just lost one match before the quarterfinals at a Grand Slam. I think if you see that turn into two or three straight first week losses at Grand Slams, then I'll start to think that. But I've seen. But two years ago, he he had started to slip a little, and I didn't think he would ever come back to number one. And he did come back to number one in 2012. So I always have that in mind that he will, that he can come out of a come out of a slump. And I still think he thinks that way. Of course, as the years go by, there's less and less chance of that, of him coming back to number one. Um, so I'm not quite ready. I don't quite, even though when I watch him play, I don't quite see the same player. I don't see some of the explosiveness that I used to, especially like 10 years ago. But I'm not at the point where I, I see him as in um, terminal decline. You know, that, that could change. But he's still, this is just something very new, these early losses. Well, I think the big question is, you know, one thing that's always been his strength is his how much he loves playing tennis, how much he loves competing. He always says that. Everybody says that about him. But what he, what those guys really love, what he really loves, is winning. If he stops winning, how much is he going to love competing? And that, that'll be the question. That, that's how that'll determine his longevity. I think. Rich, maybe your thoughts on this latest episode of. Federer decline, which we always come to at a certain point. Yeah, you know, I don't want to overreact to it only because at this time last year, you know, he crushed Djokovic the first set of that since he final, like six, it was over like 15 minutes. So it's, we're only a year from that and from winning Wimbledon. And I don't think that he's hit the wall that fast. I think it's almost been a little bit of a perfect storm with the 
with the back, the early loss at Wimbledon, you know, the new racket, a lot of things, like you said, the kids, the family, it's a lot, it's just a different sort of world for him. I, I will say I was encouraged reading his comments after the Brands loss where he was not only defiant, he was a little pissed off, like mm-hmm. people writing, you know, he, it almost was like got to him a little bit like, I've heard this before, you guys write me off before, and I kind of like to see that that edge in him, like that he has maybe a little bit something to prove now whether he can translate that and whether his body is going to give him the time to do that physically is another story. But I look at someone like Haas who plays a similar style to Federer, playing his best tennis at 35. I think it's it's absurd to write Federer off right now if he's healthy and, as Steve said, if, if the desire is still there. But based on the way he's speaking, I don't think he makes those comments unless he really believes he's got another you know, another run in him. I'm not saying he's going to get back to number one or anything, but, you know, you put him, if he gets hot in a short tournament span, you, you know, you got to respect him. He's a great doubles player, as we saw in the Olympic yeah. Games. You should can always play doubles if you need to. Um, but anyway, we will, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure build some um, all Djokovic, all Nadal, all Murray podcast at some point for some reason to... Uh, all Del Bonus. To, uh, to a, <laughs> or that. If we didn't do it last time, it, he'll have to do something pretty good for that to happen, <laughs> um, to appease everybody else. But uh, thanks for listening, and uh, tune in for more podcasts. I'm here with Richard Pagliaro, Steve Tegner, Ed McRogan, all on Tennis.com. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 